Good morning, Renewal Mainline. It's good to be here with you guys uh, after this Thanksgiving uh, week. And uh, I'm a little walking a little gingerly, as you might notice later, because uh, we had a little turkey bowl with some guys from church. I was playing some football, and in my mind, whenever I'm on a field, I feel like I'm 28 in my mind. But my 41-year-old body is like, no, no, what are you doing? So I strained a calf of mine, uh, but I'm thankful that I won't need surgery. Uh, so just trying to remain thankful in the spirit of Thanksgiving. But uh, again, I'm, I'm thankful to be here with you guys and to be able to worship with you this morning and to be able to look at the Word of God together this morning. So we're continuing on in our series uh, through the book of Acts, and we just heard read for us about uh, a man named Philip who was chosen along with Stephen, the first martyr, uh, to be one of those who would serve the widows. But what we realize in this passage is his ministry wouldn't simply be limited to the serving of widows. In fact, he goes down to uh, what's called the city of Samaria or a city in Samaria, and he does gospel ministry there. And as a result, verse 8 tells us that there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. Uh, and this is our heart as a church, to be the kind of church that brings joy in the neighborhoods where God has placed us. Uh, our vision statement, I'm sure we all have it memorized, but just to remind you, uh, the vision of renewal is to ignite a gospel-spreading movement through multiple local congregations so that individuals, communities, and cultures, uh, I'm sorry, local, multiple local congregations in the greater Philadelphia area and the world so that individuals, communities, and cultures are renewed in Christ. So even in that wording, hopefully you get a sense that our heart, uh, what we believe that God is calling us to be, is the, to be the kind of church that simply doesn't exist for its own sake, for its own comfort, but for the good of others, the joy of others, that they would experience the joy of Christ uh, through our ministry, right? That we wouldn't simply be churches that uh, happen to just find ourselves in a neighborhood, but that we would exist for the sake of the neighborhood, for its good, for its flourishing, bringing joy to people wherever uh, he places our congregations. And so this conviction stems from Scripture, uh, particularly when we read about the time where the Jews were exiled into Babylon uh, under the discipline of God. They were sent to Babylon. They were there in exile, and they were sent to live amongst people who had just conquered them. Right, So they're in this hostile place, and here is God's direction to them in Jeremiah 20, 29.7. He says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now that word welfare is the word shalom, which doesn't simply uh, mean the absence of war. Uh, just simple peace, absence of conflict, but it translates, it, it really conveys more this sense of total flourishing, flourishing in every dimension, spiritually, physically, material, of uh, total flourishing. And so again, God is telling his people, look, if you want to flourish as a people, you're this small minority in a hostile place. If you want to flourish there, don't hide away. Don't cut yourself off. Right? Instinctively, uh, when, when we're in a situation like that, what do we want to do? We want to think about self-preservation. 
right? We want to hunker down and protect ourselves. But in fact, God says the very opposite. Don't focus on self-preservation. If you want to flourish, work for the flourishing of Babylon. Because here's what happens. When we pour ourselves out for the good of those around us, we, in a sense, flourish in this way. As you make yourself available to the work of God, as you commit yourself to the work of his kingdom, you yourself, as you see God working through you, you yourself are spiritually encouraged and revived, and in that sense you flourished. But beyond just that, right, as we pour ourselves out in love for those around us, even to those who might be hostile towards us, what ends up happening is that some of them, some of them may actually join us. God might use our ministry and turn some of their hearts to himself. And so in that sense, the church grows and flourishes. So again, our vision is to be the kind of church that brings joy to wherever he has placed us, whether it be West Philly, whether it be Mainline. And I know, right, it would be silly not to mention the obvious. We're not meeting in the Mainline today. Well, actually, Devin is typically the main line, but we're not meeting at St. Catherine's. And from what Pastor Luke has informed me, you know, most likely it seems that someone in the community, a disgruntled person who was parking spots were taken up, reported us to the community. Uh, and I don't have to go into all those details. But the sad reality is, oftentimes, oftentimes, not a, I don't believe that's the case in our situation, but oftentimes, Complaints against churches for parking and taking up, I believe, are largely warranted because here's what happens. A lot of times, churches do just exist for themselves. So they come into a community. They come into a place, and they do take up all the parking, but they don't give anything back. Nobody in the community knows what's happening in those four walls. All they know is our parking's taken up, but nothing's ever given, nothing's ever shared, Right? And that is the sad reality for, unfortunately, too many churches out there. And that's what I mean by a lot of times such complaint is warranted. But my prayer and how I'm praying for you, Renewal Mainline, is not only that St. Catherine's opens up again, which we are praying and hoping, but that that narrative in whoever that person's mind, that that narrative would be reversed. And they would come to see a church that doesn't simply exist for itself but exist for the good of those around them, for the flourishing of those around them, so that those, the community around us, would experience the joy that we have all tasted and known, not for the sake of renewal's name, but most importantly, for the sake of the name of Jesus. And so that's the kind of church we want to be. And so in our passage, I believe we see three important elements that will enable us, that are necessary to be the kind of church that brings joy in whatever community has placed you. First of all, we see every member on gospel mission. Every member on gospel mission. This passage comes right on the heels of Stephen's death. He was martyred. But Stephen's death would actually mark the beginning. It wasn't this isolated event. It would mark the beginning of a great persecution that would break out against the entire uh, church. And so the Christians at that time were all centralized in Jerusalem. So as a result of this persecution, they scatter, right? They flee and they scatter. And it tells us they scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now think about this. Who was it 
that led? Who was it that spearheaded, essentially, this is the first missions movement. It's cross-cultural. Who was it that first spearheaded the gospel advancing cross-culturally into these unreached places? Who led that? Who spearheaded it? Well, chapter 8, 1, verse 1 tells us it wasn't the apostles. Because what we know is that the apostles stayed behind. They stayed in Jerusalem. And there's all kinds of reasons I won't get into for why they stayed in Jerusalem. But my simple point is this. It wasn't the main leaders of the church. It wasn't the pastors, if I could put it that way. It wasn't the paid professionals. It was all Christians. All the people. It wasn't just a select few it was any and every believer who went about because of this persecution and were scattered. And when it says they went about preaching the word, it doesn't mean preaching like I'm doing here. It actually just means evangelizing. In fact, it literally translates, and I love this, it literally translates they were gossiping the gospel. Right? Wherever they went, yo, let me, let me tell you about something. Did you hear about this guy named Jesus? Right? Everywhere they go. They're gossiping the gospel into every nook and cranny that they were scattered. To be a church that brings joy to the main line, each of you, not just the pastors, not just the people with the titles, every single member must be committed to making Christ known wherever he has placed you. Wherever he has placed you. That word translated scattered is actually an agricultural term, the same term used to describe a farmer scattering seed. In other words, it's a purposeful scattering. It's a scattering that's meant to lead to the bearing of fruit. And likewise, God has scattered us as a church throughout the mainline area. And that is a beautiful and powerful thing. Think about what's, think about the footprint of just Renewal Mainline. Not even including Renewal West Philly. Just think about the footprint of just Renewal Mainline. We have college students here scattered throughout Mainline campuses, in classrooms, in dorms. I'm sure there are amongst you people in graduate programs, professors. I know Ed's a prophet at Villanova. We're in lecture halls. We're in labs. I know that several of you are in hospitals. You're working in various capacities in hospitals throughout this region right? Uh, many of you are scattered in different, within the main line, different neighborhoods even within the main line, distinct neighborhoods within the main line. Many of you guys, our church loves to eat. If you're new to Renewal, that's one thing you'll find. We are very concerned about where we're going to eat and what we're going to eat. And so people obsess about, hey, where should we go out after fellowship to eat? I heard Sankey has seen a huge increase in their profits as a result of Renewal main line. But think about this. You guys are scattered all over the place. You're, you're, you're frequenting grocery stores with regularity. You probably shop at the same grocery store all the time. You probably eat at the same places with a regularity. Now think about how powerful it would be if every single member lived with gospel intentionality, stepped out of their door every morning with this mindset, I'm on mission for Christ. I'm a steward of the gospel. I want to go and gossip the gospel everywhere I go. Even something as mundane as your waiter who you see at Sankey every week, getting to know their name, getting to know their story, 
and in whatever way the Lord might open a door, and even praying towards the Lord opening a door for you to share the gospel with them, to share the, the hope and joy of Christ. Think of how powerful that is if we consider the footprint of just your congregation and every single member living with that kind of gospel intentionality every single day. Think about the impact that could be made. It's, incre it's incredible. I've been uh, personally very encouraged uh, as we've been going through this series in Acts. Different people in Renewal West Philly have been coming up to me like, hey, look, I've been challenged. I've been reminded. It's not like this is rocket science to be reminded that, you know, it's so hard to understand. We're called to live on mission. But, Pastor, it's been a good reminder to me. I'm taking steps of faith to share the gospel where God has placed me. I got an email last week from one of the brothers in our church. I asked for his permission to share his story. And this is what he wrote me. Quote, I know this is going to seem really random, but I'm honestly so amazed and full of joy because I was able to share the gospel to my classmates and friends this week. I could never have imagined this happening, especially in a graduate program, and most of it happening at the school. We were in our psychosocial aspects class when the topic of spirituality came up, in which, which led to a discussion within our friend group about religion and different faiths. And my one friend, Bill, who myself and others have been praying for, said he didn't want to share his perspective as he thought I wouldn't want to hear it because he's an atheist slash agnostic somewhere on that spectrum, he knew, and he knew I was a Christian. But I wanted to know what he really thought. So we started talking, and I told him that there is sufficient evidence for God and the resurrection actually taking place. So this obviously intrigued him, and I started talking to him about it. This conversation has been taking place for multiple days now in a row, and throughout that time, our other non-believing friends have joined the discussion, and they continue to ask me the same difficult questions I had about Christianity. And I was, about, I was able to share some of the things I have learned in my walk with Christ, which opened the chance to share the gospel with all of them. I am so humbled and so amazed at how God in His Spirit is moving in our lives right now. And then he went on to just say he's grateful for the ways that he's felt equipped at church. And then he signed off, missionary so-and-so. And he said it in jest, because we all know he's not technically a missionary. But what he's just simply trying to convey is, I'm living each day with a gospel intentionality to desire to share Christ in whatever way I can and whatever opportunities God might open. And that's how God designed it. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, the teaching officers, pastors, are given not to do the work of ministry by themselves. Go for it, Luke. Share the gospel with as many people as you can. Go for it, missionaries, Pastor James Cha, Michael O. Go for it. Share the gospel with as many people as you can. No. It says the offices of teacher, these teaching-type word offices, are given to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of ministry. Every member is to be living on gospel mission in that regard. Second element we see in the early church is they were crossing barriers for Christ it's hard for us as modern-day readers to appreciate what a shock this was for Philip to go into Samaria. Because Philip, though he was a Hellenist Jew, he was still a Jew. He identified with the Jewish people, and the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. 
What happened was when the Assyrians conquered for some time uh, Israel, they took all the influential Israelites away. Then they repopulated with foreigners. And those Israelites that were left over intermarried with the foreigners, which to the traditional Jew was like a major no-no. On top of that, they came up with their own ways of worship, right? Where the temple was everything to the Jewish people. They said, we're going to worship on Mount Gerizim. And because of that, not only did they view these people as racially inferior to them, they viewed them as heretical. Racially inferior heretics is how the Jews viewed the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, of course, knew this. And so they, in turn, hated the Jews. It was horrible. They, there was a deep animosity. But Philip, unlike Jonah, went to a people who were his natural enemies, willingly went to a people who were his natural enemies. But he did so because he experienced the supernatural power of Christ, the supernatural power of the gospel. And Jesus, after all, is the one who said, you will be my witnesses in not just Jerusalem with the people who look like you and who you're comfortable with, but in Judea and Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. The very message of the gospel is a message about crossing barriers. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 to 16, Paul addressing Gentile believers, those not from Jewish backgrounds, tells them this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You know, a phrase we often use at Renewal to sum up the gospel is we simply say Jesus lived the life that we all should have lived but failed to live, a life of obedience to God. He lived the life we all should have lived but failed to live, and he died the death we deserve to die. Why? To reconcile us to God. But the gospel doesn't just end with reconciling us to God. The gospel ends with, as a result of us being reconciled to God, we can now also be reconciled to one another. Because this was God's intention from the very beginning. Before sin entered the world, right? What happens after sin enters the world? Immediately there's hostility. Adam blames Eve. Cain kills Abel. And it goes on and on and on. But with Jesus and the power of the cross, his death and resurrection, now reconciliation is made possible. Not just with God, but between all people, all people groups. And here's the thing. What God intends to show the world is a radical unity expressed through the church. That people of different cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities can come together and live as one family. And it is that very thing that's supposed to be one of the greatest testaments to the truth and power of the gospel. Jesus prays it himself. John 17, 21. That they may all be one. And he's talking about the future. Christians down the line. That they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is one of the greatest authenticating proofs that the gospel is true? It's supposed to be the oneness of the church. But unfortunately, as you and I know, 
the church has gotten this so wrong so often. The famous words of MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And decades after he said these words, we still have a tremendously long way to go. Ed Stetzer is a well-known pastor, uh, church planner, missiologist kind of guy, and he's done a bunch of extensive research on the lack of diversity in churches today. And here's what he writes after one of these long research studies. Surprisingly, most churchgoers are content with the ethnic status quo in their churches. In a world where our culture is increasingly diverse, and many pastors are talking about diversity, it appears most people are happy where they are and with whom they are. Now, this is a complicated issue, and I don't want to oversimplify things. At times, ethnic churches are needed. For example, my parents, uh, they immigrated to this country, and they joined the Korean church. Why did they join the Korean church? Not because they had an issue with Caucasian people or any other uh, uh, ethnicity. It's because they couldn't speak English. So they needed a service in their language, and thus was born the Korean church in America. But not all situations are like that. Well, let me, let me add another qualifier. Uh, think of uh, very homogeneous communities. I'm not going to fault a homogeneous community for having a homogeneous commu- a church. It would be ridiculous to expect them to ship people in right away. We're too homogeneous. Let's bust some people in. I mean, that would be silly, right? But the standard is you want to reflect your community as much as possible. And the many communities in our country are increasingly diverse. And therefore, we want to reflect that more and more, not just to catch up with the culture, but because, in fact, we should be ahead of it. That's what Jesus died to accomplish. But so often, ethnic churches exist for all kinds of reasons that aren't gospel-centered. Let me speak plainly. Black churches exist today because they literally weren't allowed. Historically, there was a time in this country where they weren't literally allowed in the uh, white churches. That's just a fact. Many blacks today, friends, pastors that I labor with, wonder whether they still even have a place at the table to this day. Many minorities have experienced uh, feeling ostracized in different ways, and because of that hurt, they choose to remain arm's length and not even try working towards reconciliation. These are realities we're facing today. But you see, even in the early church, you know, as much as we learn from them, and there are certainly ideals here, the early church had a lot to learn on this issue. It would take them a long time for Jews and Gentiles to get along. That took a long time and a lot of work. And guess what? Some of the apostles didn't have it right. God had to confront Peter on this issue. So we're not alone in this. It's a human issue. Verses 14 to 16, it describes how even though the people of Samaria, they're hearing the gospel, they're responding, they're being baptized, yet Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. Now, the norm, what usually happens is when a person calls on the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately comes upon them and indwells them. But here, there's this big gap, right? It's they believe on Jesus, they even get baptized, but it says the Holy Spirit didn't come till Peter and John came down and laid their hands on them. It's the one of the few instances in Scripture where there's a gap like that. Why would God do that? And it's precisely because God knew the Jews were going to have a difficult time to accept the Samaritans. 
he knew what a hurdle it was. And so by sending Peter and John, the, the church leaders of the majority, formerly Jewish uh, a church, and they come down and they lay their hands, what it shows is the Samaritans are receiving the same Holy Spirit you have because we're the same family. We're one people, and Christ died to make one new humanity. So don't treat them differently. Don't look at them as if they're different. The ground is level at the foot of the cross because it tells us, regardless of race, creed, whatever, we're all in the same boat. We're all broken people in need of a Savior. And as you call upon Christ, the ground is level because we're equally loved by Christ. We're equally destined for the same glory because of Jesus. The church is, to, is meant to reflect the power of the gospel to reconcile and bring people together. Yes, our culture is diverse. Our communities are diverse in different ways. But if you look at it, it's a very superficial diversity often, right? You have lots of different kinds of people living in the same area together, but do they really share life together? Oftentimes what you see is even in apparently diverse-looking places, diverse-looking workplaces, diverse-looking classrooms, people still stick with their own. That's what you often see. It's a superficial, skin-deep diversity. But the gospel produces true diversity, a true connectedness. Why? Because through faith in Christ, the blood that we share is the blood of Jesus. And that runs thicker than the blood you share with your biological family. And it's a, it's a connection that lasts forever. And the gospel leads us to, to be people that, not simp that don't simply tolerate each other, simply not hate each other. The gospel lives us to be a people who love each other and are willing to lay down our lives for each other. That's the kind of oneness that the gospel creates. Beyond just ethnicity, right? All kinds of barriers continue to remain in our society. You look at the main line. I'm sure on the main line. I am positive on the main line. If you polled people, you're going to find some fierce conservatives, politically speaking. Some fierce conservatives who love Trump, who are happy with Trump, who are happy with the administration saying, do what you're doing, keep going. And then I'm sure you will find some who abhor Trump, who hate everything about this administration, who are fiercely liberal. You're going to have both of these folks. And the political climate of our country today is toxic. We villainize each other. People on both sides of that fence villainize each other. You think of even all, uh, other kinds of barriers like religious barriers. There's a significant Jewish population on the main line. And my guess is for many of us, that's a very high barrier. Where if you're interacting with someone who's Jewish, perhaps in your mind you're like, well, it's probably offensive if I share anything about my faith, they're probably already committed to Judaism. No way they're going to come over, so I'll just let them be. But you know what? That's not what Philip did. He looked at Samaria and he said, they need the gospel. And I'm willing to cross barriers. I am, again, encouraged because I know at renewal this is what we want. I know at Renewal, this is the kind of church that we want. I know that some of you from West Philly came over here because you believe in the vision of what we're trying to do here is create 
churches uh, by God's enablement that reflect our community, that reflect the beauty and diversity of what the gospel creates. We want to reflect that in our staffing. We want to reflect that in our body. And so I'm encouraged by that. I know you guys are behind that. I know you guys are supporting that. I know that even reflected here is probably a lot more diverse than many congregations meeting at this hour. And we praise God for that. And I want to encourage you to keep going in that. Let me just say a quick word. I don't know how many college kids are here. Are there college kids here? College kids. I said this down in West Philly to our RCF kids. Our college, kid, college groups are still overwhelmingly Asian. You don't need to be ashamed of that. There's, there's, a, there's, you know, there's something that Asians contribute to the broader church, but I do want to encourage you to be careful of just remaining in your own ethnic enclave, of just because it's more comfortable, you don't have to switch code, if you know what I mean, a lot of immigrants, you have to switch code. Like when you're with other immigrants, you're like, yeah, we get that, and our parents used to beat us and things like that. But, you know, when you're in the broader culture, you switch code, and you don't talk about things like that. It's tiring. And so it's easy to just stay with people like you. But I encourage you not to do that because your campuses are overwhelmingly not Asian. And they need the gospel. I am sincerely encouraged by what I believe God is doing at Renewal, and I'm sincerely encouraged by what I believe God is doing in the broader church, just to give you a, a little step back in, in what God seems to be doing in the broader church in the Philadelphia area. I've been invited uh, hum, I'm humbled by it, but I was invited to join what's called the Philadelphia Gospel Movement as part of the leadership team. We call it the servant team, but it's, it's really the executive board of uh, what we call the Philadelphia Gospel Movement. What is the Philadelphia Gospel Movement? It is uh, basically what we're trying to see. Our vision is to see the greater Philadelphia area, including the suburbs, flourish spiritually, economically, and culturally, what we talked about in the very beginning, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And the way that we hope to accomplish this, our mission statement, is by promoting strategic collaboration amongst churches, nonprofits, and the marketplace. Right? Marketplace leaders, right? Working folks, lay leaders, nonprofit organizations, as well as church leaders, all across denominations, across ethnicities, and our shared but holding to our shared belief that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that people need. And it's the gospel that saves people. And so this is the team. It's the most diverse team I've ever been a part of. Actually, for you original Philly folks, you might notice Mayor Wilson Good right there, our former mayor from several terms ago, who after his serving as mayor went and got ordained as a Baptist minister and a tremendously encouraging individual. But uh, these are brothers and sisters from every denomination, every color, uh, different ways of doing ministry throughout our region, and we're all working together. We meet every other month. I meet with the strategic team every month. We all work together to promote the advance of the gospel throughout our city. It's been an amazing thing to be part of, and the reason I share this is simply this. The Spirit is on the move. You know, sometimes we look at Philly, and people badmouth Philly, and they're like, oh, Philly, it's so ghetto. It's so... God's doing something in Philly. And, and as, you, as I mentioned, it's not just the city proper. It's the city pastor saying, we got to bring suburban churches into this. They're our brothers and sisters. And whatever happens in the city affects the suburbs and vice versa. We're one. And I've just been tremendously encouraged because all of us coming from different denominations, different backgrounds, we all sense, A, a growing desire in the hearts of people in our congregations to work together, to do what we could never do alone for the sake of the gospel. And we see, again, God 
stirring up something amongst our members and amongst the leaders within the area to advance the gospel. And so certainly encouraged to see what God is doing. And I, I only hope and pray that renewal would continue to be part of that, a church that prioritizes crossing barriers to demonstrate to our region, to our neighborhoods, the power of the gospel to bring people together. Lastly, we see the commitment in our text, a commitment to ministry and word and deed. The people of Samaria, they were once captivated by a man named Simon who practiced magic. And this is not the kind of magic you and I think of, like putting, pulling a rabbit out of a hat, like ta-da, right? Uh, magic in the ancient Near East, it was religious in nature, right? So they would call upon spiritual forces for the sake of fertility, for their crops, for success in business, for safe travel. That's what's meant by their belief in magic. It was an intensely religious thing. But as the believers go and they share the word of the gospel, Philip proclaims the gospel in the city, the crowds begin to turn away from magic because they see its emptiness and they turn to the truth of Christ. But it wasn't just the preaching of the word by itself that caused people to turn. Verse 7 explicitly describes many people were paralyzed, lame, and then they were healed. They were delivered from evil spirits. In other words, they were getting their physical needs met. And yes, it was miraculous in nature, but the bottom line is, it was still a meeting of felt needs, physical needs. And so as a result, in verse 6, it describes how the people paid attention to what Philip said when they saw the signs that he did. And as we've seen before in this series, there's a very important principle in gospel ministry. Word and deed must always go together. If the gospel is going to take off, you need both wings of the gospel. Word and deed. Because it's often deed ministry serving people tangibly, meeting people's tangibly needs, uh, tangible needs, oftentimes that's what God uses to open up their hearts to receive the message of the gospel. The works of the gospel oftentimes paves the way for the words of the gospel. And this is what we see happen so often. Again, in a society like ours, where people have now an increasingly negative view of Christianity, Right, a phrase I, I quote often from Russell Moore, Christianity, Christianity is perceived at best right, as strange and at worst as subversive. Right? People at awkward at best, you guys are weird, you believe weird things, or subversive at worst, you're a detriment to society, you're backwards, your beliefs hold society back from true advancement. This is the climate we live in. People are skeptical of Christianity. Your neighbors, coworkers, and friends might very well be offended if you say something like, I believe Jesus is the only way to be saved. And therefore, as a result, I don't believe other religions all lead to God. I, be I don't believe you can just be a good person and believe whatever and you'll be fine. That's offensive to people in this day and age. And so the reality is, especially in a skeptical society like ours, I've heard this phrase shared with me years ago, and it holds so true. People don't often care what you know until they know that you care. 
They don't care what you know. They don't care about your theology. They don't care about what you're, oh, I believe Jesus, and you need to repent of your sin. They're not going to hear that. They don't care what you know very often until they know what you care. Uh, They know that you care. It's when you develop relationships. And they see you walking with them through the ups and downs of life, meeting physical needs, coming alongside of you, serving. That's what opens up a door to the words of the gospel. Again, one ministry, I think that represents this so well in my mind. I've been spending a lot of time these days with Alpha Care. Uh, They're a ministry that's originally based out of Center City and now moved to West Philly. And our church at West Philly has been talking about what we can do to partner and support them. Alphacare is a ministry that serves women who are pregnant. And many of these women didn't want to be pregnant. And so Alphacare comes alongside of the women so as to encourage them to provide material, physical, spiritual support to encourage them to keep the child. Right? And even if they don't want to keep them, help them to deliver so that at least the baby can be adopted so as to not end the life of the child. That's their ministry. And as I've been spending time with them, I also came to discover for women who still choose to go ahead and end the child's life, there's a lot of trauma that comes with that. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of emotional trauma and scars. And so often, they also come alongside of those women. Those who chose to make that decision, they still love them. They still support them in whatever way they can to come alongside, to meet their needs. And so as this ministry uh, moved into West Philly, the reason they moved into West Philly is because I'm sure you all heard about Kermit Gosnell, right? Uh, He's a doctor. It was all over the news. He happens to be in prison now because of what he did. Actually, I have a picture of uh, when I visited Alphacare to hang out with them, this is the front door, and it's scary, it's weird, it's eerie, because his name and everything, all the information is just the same. They haven't changed or cleaned anything. You see all the equipment inside if you look through the windows. Uh, it's a very sobering place to be. And so if you're not aware who he is, he made national headlines for performing hundreds of illegal abortions, if not who knows how many. I think they weren't even able to really know, but he performed illegal abortions, and the methods he used were horrific in nature. Patients were neglected. This is straight out of the Washington Post, by the way. Providers were not even certified. Cats were allowed to roam and defecate in the clinic. And this man became wealthy off the back of those who were in poverty. In their time of deepest need, he prayed off of them. But AlphaCare moved next door. They bought the building next door. And they're seeking to purchase the actual Gosnell space, which is up to $5 million because of all the liens that are against it. But they're making it their target. They're making it their vision. They're praying towards it. And here's the crazy thing they just shared with me a week, couple weeks ago. They said, initially, when we moved into this neighborhood, we had a lot of pushback. Because the neighborhood they're in, Pelton Village, it's very progressive, very liberal neighborhood. And so any hint of pro-life, they're like, no. You guys are going to come and you're going to put up those horrible pictures. You're going to be picketing. We don't want your kind around here. But what ended up happening was, over time, AlphaCare just remained faithful in loving their community, a community that honestly didn't even want them there. So, one of the simple things, they were like, let's beautify the block, because it was just all run down. And so they not only renovated their space, They aesthetically made the entire surrounding block beautiful. 
They did all kinds of community services uh, for the community beyond just Alpha Care type stuff. They were just loving and serving their neighbors, uh, and they kept at it. And over the course of time, here's what happened. Those who initially were opposing them getting the building, over time, their minds began to change. And they actually came up to the director and they said, look, we've seen you and you've proven us wrong. We expected you to, to act in these ways and to be like these kinds of people, but all you've done is brought good to this community. So we're going to lobby for you to get the Gosnell building. We're going to do what we can to support you in this. And so what a powerful, powerful demonstration of God using them to bring joy in the city. Now, oftentimes when we think of need ministry, uh, deed ministry, mercy ministry, as we say, we typically, our mind goes to the city because it's obvious there. It's a little more obvious. But I want you to hear what Tim Keller writes in Ministries of Mercy. He says this, Do you see neighbors struggling with grief, loss, sickness, divorce, age, right? Seniors who are by themselves, nobody to visit them, disability, the personal problems that are more obvious in urban areas remain hidden in the suburbs. There are the alcoholics or drug addicts, unwed mothers, abused children, juvenile delinquents, and ex-convicts trying to re-enter society. The number of needs near us in our own personal circles of concern is actually quite numerous if we but open our eyes to see them. Renewal West Philly folks, I'm sure you remember before the launch, our sister Heather Ong shared a testimony about her own house in a nice affluent suburb acting as like a halfway house for kids in the community who were from broken homes who never wanted to be at home, kids who are battling drug addiction in a very nice community. These are the realities. And this is why I believe God has placed Renewal Mainline where he's placing you. To serve such needs. To love folks whose needs often are hidden and go unseen. And so in closing, to be a church that brings joy to our area entails every member living on gospel mission, a willingness to cross barriers, and ministering in word and deed. But, final thing, all of this requires sacrifice. How does this entire passage begin? All these wonderful things. What leads to Samaria's joy? Stephen's death. That's how it starts. It starts with a death. Simon, he came to faith, and that's debated, and he's rebuked by Peter because he wanted to wield and have access to the power of Jesus, but he wanted to take a shortcut and pay for it. He wanted the power of Jesus, but he didn't want to carry the cross of Jesus. And it doesn't work that way. If we want to see the power of the gospel unleashed around us, it requires us to carry a cross. That's just a ministry, unavoidable ministry principle. John 12, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it, it bears much fruit. The people of God need to be willing to sacrifice, need to be willing to suffer, die to ourselves, die to our comforts, if we're truly going to be a church that brings joy to others, the joy of Jesus. I know that in the past few weeks you've heard from our brother Michael O., James Cha. I know that you guys were encouraged by some powerful testimonies of fruit being born around the world. But let me say this, and I'll say it on their behalf. Without a doubt, I know that behind every inspiring story you hear, behind every testimony of this miraculous life change or this person coming to Jesus or this facility provided by God in a miraculous way, behind every one of those stories are countless stories of sacrifice. Countless untold hours of pain, of times where you felt and you were questioning whether anything was happening or changing, of hardship, and that is not meant to be a surprise to the Christian because Jesus himself said, look, if you're going to follow me, if anyone will come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me because the only way to bear lasting, genuine spiritual fruit is it involves death of some sort. And let me close by saying this. I'm truly encouraged because some of you guys have already died to yourself in many ways. The original Devon Core, I know a lot of you guys have made a lot of sacrifices to make it to this point. I know the West Philly guys, it was not easy to leave the comfortable situation you had in community in West Philly. And so I'm sincerely encouraged by the sacrifices I know you all are making to build this church by the grace of God and his enablement. And I want, you, I want to encourage you, your labor will not be in vain. I was just telling our West Philly side, you know, just recently a neighbor came up to me uh, who works for, he's the president of the Cedar Park Neighbors Association, which is where our church is, Cedar Park. He's my neighbor. He lives across the street, Dave Hincher, and he comes up to me and he says, Dwight, I just want to tell you, because uh, they're about to use our space to do a, a, a bag, packing bags for people in need, uh, and so Cedar Park neighbors organized it. They're using Renewal Church building to pack the bags for, to give food to the needy. And he just says to me, he says, I, want just, I just want you to know, I'm so glad you're in our community. I'm so glad your church is here. And that was humbling to hear. And it reminded me of this whole concept of bringing joy to our city. But on the flip side, at the same token, I was also reminded, you know why by God's grace, we're at the point where we are today where people like Dave Hincher are thanking me that our church is here is because of the countless sacrifices made by people in our church through the years to build our church. I think of our elders who gutted it out and just lived where they live uh, and with all the challenges that sometimes come with life in this city. As much as we enjoy it, there's a lot that's not so pleasant about it. But believing in the vision, they, they've rooted themselves and they're raising their families and God is honoring that sacrifice. And I know some of you are willing to root yourselves, you have rooted yourselves and you're making tremendous sacrifices. And I want to encourage you, your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. 
And as you make those sacrifices for the sake of Christ and others, it is through that, the way of the cross, that Christ will bring the joy of Jesus to the main line that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Can I just give you a moment as we close to just consider <clears throat> those three points as you think about your own life and personal situation? Every member living on gospel mission. Maybe you could take a moment and just say, God, open my eyes to see the opportunities around me every day. Maybe it is my waiter at Sankey, <laughs> my classmate, coworker, friend, my neighbor who I say hi to every day before we head off to work. Can we just pray, Lord, help me to not only see those opportunities, but help me to be intentional about how I go about each opportunity and approach each relationship. Not in a salesman, pitchy kind of way, right? But genuinely just loving our neighbors and desiring them to experience the joy that we know in Jesus. Secondly, crossing barriers. Are there barriers that Christ may be challenging you to cross in his name? Are there ways in which you have uh, decided to insulate yourself from discomfort and just stay with those like you? Maybe we can pray that the Lord would help us to break out of that for the sake of the gospel. And third, ministry in word and deed. Perhaps there are tangible, it doesn't need to be eccentric, it doesn't need to be, you know, uh, have a wow factor to it. But just simply sharing serving people in need, choosing to help. Maybe it's something as simple as an elderly neighbor who lives alone, whose kids never come by. You make it a point to just stop in, pop in. Hey, do you need anything? You need any groceries? It doesn't have to be extravagant. God often blesses our ordinary deeds of faithfulness to do an extraordinary work in the hearts of people who don't know him. So take a moment, just pray over those things, and as we close our time.